Hello everyone, this is Sarisha and I host the Women, Career and Life podcast. Just like you, I've traversed varied paths, stumbled a little, picked myself up and learned a great deal on my journey. Many of us face similar questions, but we don't always get to have a conversation with our friends or peers. In this podcast, you will hear real stories that you can connect with on the challenges of navigating career and life. You must be wondering who I am. In my everyday life, I'm a career woman, a mom, and an avid reader. I'm also a road tripper, amateur gardener, and even a fashionista on some days. Join me and my guests as we have an open and honest discussion on career change, trade-offs, and working across boundaries. You get the idea. It's a perspective you simply may not hear anywhere else. We are continuing our discussion on Let's Talk About Money. I'm really excited to have Alice Finn, who is a wealth advisor, wealth management expert who's featured on CNBC and many other organizations. Her book, Smart Women Love Money, has been US News top nine finance books. She's been featured in Romper as one of the 23 books. It's number five on the list that adult women should read. Alice, thank you for being here. I am really excited on your mission statement to enable and empower women to learn more about investment and enabling their financial journey. So thanks for being on the podcast. I'm delighted to be here. And thank you for doing what you're doing, which is a broader mission. And I'm happy to be part of the money part of it. One fun fact, you're a lawyer originally by trade and you worked at NASA. So what brought you to what you're doing today? I worked in the general counsel's office. It was a really exciting time that I spent there. But after that, I realized that by personality, I'm not really a lawyer. I'm much more of an entrepreneur and I'm definitely a numbers person. And so eventually I figured that out and totally switched careers about 25 years ago. And I've never looked back. I love what I do. I am both a geek about investing and I like to wake up in the morning and say, what's going on in Asia, what's going on in Europe. And that's interesting to me. I also really enjoy the psychology of wealth and the psychology of money. It's really fascinating. And it's funny how my life has all come together because as an undergraduate, I studied psychology. So even though I'm a numbers person, that background comes in handy so much for what I do. When you talk about psychology of money, I was reading your foreword and you talk about when the book title was suggested, Swart Women Love Money, there's a connotation with love when you talk about money and women in the same sentence. So can you speak to it and why you chose to still have that title? I have a very talented publisher named Judith Regan, and we had a, a different title. I can't even remember it. That's how not memorable it would have been. And she, at the last minute, said, okay, how about Smart Women Love Money? And when she proposed it, it took me a second. I almost cringed. I was like, that just didn't sound right. And then I realized that there's a problem because if you say smart men love money, that's like a neutral self-evident statement. It's not cringeworthy in any way. Whereas if you say smart women love money, it makes you think for a second. And I I thought, what's the difference? Why is that there a difference between those two? Why is that smart women love money is making a statement as opposed to saying something obvious? So the more I thought about it, really, I realized she was right. This was a great title for the book because we need to address that difference. And I think culturally, women somehow perceive caring about money as being greedy. When you love money, it's not loving the physical money or even the the luxuries you can buy with it. It's what it will do for your life to give you opportunities and choices and what you can do also to help the other people in your life that you love. So if you have resources, you can take care of yourself and you can take care of your family. You can pay for an education. You can pay for down payments on a home, start a business, 
or start a nonprofit, it gives you choices and opportunities. And that's a really powerful ability to have, especially later in life when you might have ideas that you want to put to work. My son is a world-class speed climber. He runs up walls. He's going to go on and get a PhD in mechanical engineering. But before that, he'd like to take a year or two and try and train for the Olympics. He said it to me. He's really appreciative that I can help him take that gap year or two. And that's something that I feel very lucky that I can help him do. If I weren't paying attention to my finances and get my money invested, that might not have been an opportunity that I could have given him. So So the choices don't extend to yourself, but to extend to your loved and dear ones and even to society at large and your community. And it's reframing the discussion. It's reframing what we consider our relationship with money. I also think a lot of it's about having a different image in our mind about what it is to be an investor. Women have to be investors. If you have money in a 401k plan, any retirement account, you are an investor investor. I don't think women think of themselves as investors. So in my company, we're thinking of starting a campaign of something like I am an investor or I'm invested because we want to change the image of what it looks like to be an investor. It's not just men with white hair because in the past studies have been done and people would be asked, what does an investor look like? And it wasn't you or me, it was an older man. And so I think just even changing that image is really important. It's the image that comes to mind, the Wall Street floor, when people are raising their hand and yelling at other numbers, that's probably some of the image that people have as well, and they don't see themselves. Talking about framework or role models, how do you see your representation in the wide world? And does it speak to you? And to your point, it doesn't look necessarily like us all the time. I actually end my book by saying I have this dream that we're going to have, rather than the CNBC fast-paced, adrenaline-driven TV show, which I know makes people pay attention and stay glued to the TV, but I have this idea that we could take The View, I don't know if you've seen The View, an interesting discussion, and overlay that with a discussion about money. But the good news is we wouldn't have to talk so much about money all the time, because once you get your money working for you, it's over there. It's invested. It's working for you by definition. It's in the market. And we can talk about other interesting things and still be investors. We don't need to be focused on every minute what's going on in the market because the money you've invested will be working for you while you're doing other things you care about and want to spend time on. You talk about the five simple rules of investing to make it manageable and much more easy. It's not something you have to dip your hands constantly into. So, can you just walk over the five? Simple rules. The first one is invest in stocks for the long run. You get the best return for your money if you invest in stocks as opposed to fixed income, which is bonds and cash. And the the book shows the charts that just show the magic of getting your money working for you, the compounding. One dollar invested in 1926 grows to over $20,000 if invested in US small caps and over six or $7,000 if invested in US large caps over a period of time. So it just shows those remarkable returns. That's the first rule. The second rule is asset allocation is key. Your most important decision isn't whether you buy Apple stock or Google stock or Amazon. It's what categories are you invested in and in what percentages. So first at the high level, what percent stocks versus bonds? And then, because I consider the bonds or the fixed income to be sort of the safety ballast of the portfolio. So you should take your risk with stocks. And then within stocks, what percent in U.S. large company stocks? What percent in U.S. small company stocks? What percent in international? And within international, there's developed and emerging markets are countries that are continuing to develop. So you want to have all those categories. And you also within those categories, want to have growth stocks, which are companies that are 
fast growing and other stocks that are value stocks that are undervalued. We overweight undervalued stocks, the value stocks, because in the long run, those do better. The third one is implement with index funds. So once you have your asset allocation, you want to put it to work in index funds. Index funds are basically it's buying the whole market in every category I just mentioned. So you're not picking active managers to try and beat the market because that's actually a loser's game. It doesn't work. So keep the fees low in index funds and just buy the whole market in every category. And we're lucky that we live in a time that index funds have proliferated. You can buy them in the form of mutual funds, and you can also buy them in the form of what's called exchange-traded funds, ETFs. So there's many choices in all those categories, and we're lucky about that. The fourth rule is rebalance regularly. What does that mean? At least once a year or when the market's moved a lot, you're going to look at what your target asset allocation was, and you're going to rebalance back to that. Because in a year like last year, where stocks did so well, up 20-something percent, you're going to have more in stocks than you should. So you're going to take some money off the stock part of the portfolio and put it back into the fixed income to rebalance. And then similarly, within stocks in the different categories, some things did better than others. Like last year, U.S. large company stocks did really well, and emerging markets, the, the countries that are developing, didn't do as well. So you want to take some off the table of the U.S. large cap and put it back into things that didn't do as well, which is emerging markets from last year. And to me, that's the best way that I know how to sell high and buy low. And this year so far, it's worked because emerging markets have been one of the best performing categories, whereas U.S. large cap stocks, especially growth stocks, have actually done quite poorly this year. So this year, it's a good example. And then finally, the fifth rule is keep your fees low because believe it or not, first of all, people usually don't even know what they're paying. A lot of people have no idea what they're paying in fees. But if you're paying 1% or 2% more in fees than you should, over time, you can lose half your net worth to fees and not even know it. So it's really important to know what the fees are and keep them low. When you talk about your five simple rules, one of the people I spoke to about their financial journey, she's in her mid-50s now. She's been invested for about three decades. And she talks about her first $10,000 that she put in. It took her a few years to even get into the mindset and find a financial advisor. And that 10000 with some contributions has reached half a million. So in 30 years, talking about just market, not doing, talking about other assets or other ways she's growing her money. And that speaks to it. Exactly. I was going to say that is not an unusual example. We show that over a period of time, the asset allocation part of the book, if you put $10,000 to work 40 years before you wanted to retire. Believe it or not, 40 years later, it was worth like $2 million. It's crazy. We know the right thing to buy low and sell high. But when we see the market coming down, our instinct takes over to try and flip it. So if you have a hands-off approach with indexing and balancing it once a year, then you can just manage the risk and not look at it every day. You're still an investor. You're still managing your money. It's still growing for you. It's doing everything you want it to do without you having to constantly think about it and be anxious about it. So you, you get the best of both worlds. When people call me up and they say, oh, no, what's going to happen to the market or inflation so high and the Fed's going to raise interest rates, what should I do? What I try and explain to them is what moves the market is surprises. And by definition, you cannot predict a surprise. So we already know the inflation's high and the Fed is likely to raise interest rates. That's already been priced in. So to try and move your money in and out of the market based on that is, doesn't work. And sometimes people will do it and they'll be right once. I remember people coming to me when the financial crisis of 2008, 2009, and they said, 
I was really smart. I took my money out before the bottom, but then they didn't get back in and the market's much, much higher than it was then. And so you have to be right, not just once, but twice or over and over again in order to time the market. And I have not seen anybody successfully do that over time, maybe once, maybe twice, but not consistently. The gains in the market when it dips like that in 2008 and even during COVID when it dipped in that 2020 timeframe, the gains can happen any day quickly. So you can't figure out when it comes back because that you dip 50%, it's not 50% to go back to the hole. You need 100% growth to hit even your basic investment. Right. That- so if you invest $100 and it goes down 50%, you're at 50. To get back to 100 has to go, as you just said, up by 100%. You have to double that 50. The best thing to do is come up with an asset allocation that you can sleep with at night. So I always want to make sure my clients have an emergency fund and that they're not invested so much that they're worried about losing money. So over time, I get to know my clients and I make sure that they're sleeping at night. They're not worried about the volatility because if they are and we have to sell at the bottom, I feel like I haven't done my job. If I'm a new investor, technically most women are not new investors because they're already investing in 401k. But if I start to think of myself as an investor and I want to go into the market of what's happening in my 401k and want to open a brokerage account and you know, take over my financial journey and own it. What are the steps I would need to do to execute on the five rules? Probably most women already have some money in a 401k or an IRA or something. Once they have their emergency fund, I'm talking about cash that they have in a regular taxable account. I would think of everything that you're going to invest as one, the combination of your retirement accounts and the cash you're going to put to work. First, add up all that and let's just come up with a round number. Say it's $100,000 total. Then you come up with your asset allocation. If someone's relatively young, maybe they want 80% going to be invested in the stock market and 20% as the safety ballast invested in fixed income, which is bonds and cash. Then you want to see what percent is already invested. Assuming you have 100000 you want 80000 invested. And maybe in your retirement accounts, you've got 50 and you have 50,000 of cash in a bank account. So that means you could invest 30 more to get to that 80% invest. And then within that 80,000 that you're investing, you want to make sure you've got an asset allocation that's diverse. US large cap, small cap, 4% international, and within that emerging, everything we talked about. Something came to mind when I was in my first job and I moved jobs. It was a whole new thing because it was a new country for me. Just learning the whole financial picture. And when I moved my 401k and IRAs and was rolling them over, you talk about fees. And I think it's very relevant because at that point I had very limited knowledge. So I went to the bank where I had my bank accounts and asked them for advice. And I rolled it into their suggested accounts. But a year or two later, when I started to learn more and talk to friends about it, I realized I had the 12B account front loaded, back and loaded. There was just fees all over the place. And I looked at it and said, why did they ever recommend that, that investment for me? So it took some time to say, okay, I'm going to pull this out, but where do I put the money now? So it's having a plan. It's both knowing where you want to do it and taking it out and moving it in. So I think you talk about front end and back end and generally fees. That's a very good question. And as I said, the last rule of the, the five rules of investing are keep your fees low. And the only way to know whether they're low is to know what they are. And so Anytime you're working with anyone, ask them what all the fees that you'll be paying are. And I'll just say categorically, you should never pay a front end load, a back end load. So never pay a load. So to the extent that you're invested in things that are actively managed and they have higher fees, that's a constant tax or a constant negative return on your portfolio. So I would just make sure that what all the fees are and keep them low. 
And in terms of keeping the fees low, invest in index funds. As we wrap up part one of our interview with Alice Finn, here's the food for thought episode takeaways. I'm just going to do a quick recap of the five simple rules of investing. Rule number one, invest in the stock market. Rule number two, asset allocation is key. Rule number three, invest in index funds. Rule number four, rebalance your portfolio regularly to minimize risk. Rule number five, keep your foes low by investing in index funds. I hope you enjoyed the episode and are able to implement some of these actions on your own portfolio. Please tune in to part two of this conversation with Alice Finn as we talk about how to pick a financial advisor and some other key areas to grow in our financial journey. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Tune in every other Wednesday to catch the next episode. Please like, subscribe and leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform. All the resources we talked about are also available on my website, womencareerandlife.com. I would love to hear from you about your stories and your journey. You can reach me on my blog, Twitter, Instagram or Gmail at Women, Career and Life. Until next time, this is Sarisha signing off. Remember, there are infinite possibilities to drive change in career and life. Which will you choose to make a reality today?